you got your Bible with you this morning, I want you to turn with me to Isaiah 26. We'll, we'll get to that here in a few moments, but that'll be the first scripture we take a look at this morning. Isaiah chapter 26. Amen. Let's go ahead and pray before we begin. Father, thank you so much again today. Lord, we are here to hear from you. Lord, we're here and you are here. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for the anointing of the Spirit. And thank you for the divine plan and will of God for each and every one of our lives. Lord, you have us in mind today. Whether we've all thought about you or not might be, you know, I don't know. But I know you've thought about us. And Lord, we're here to hear from you now. We tune in to the frequency of heaven and give you our hearts, our eyes to see and ears to hear what you would say. Thank you for utterance in the Holy Ghost. Now, boldness to speak your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning, I want to begin a new message. You know, we just finished a message on the eyes of your understanding. If you missed that one, uh, you're way behind. If you really got that message, this one will help, this one will, uh, you'll see this a little bit more, right? <laughs> Have greater revelation, understanding of everything else that we talk about. But today, uh, I want to begin speaking to you about this subject, that is getting control of your life, all right? Getting control of your life. Praise the Lord. A whole lot of people these days are living in chaotic situations out-of-control lives. Uh, you, we might say that uh, they're like a ship being tossed on the, on the ocean. As the waves come and the wind come, their lives are just pretty much tossed to and fro with every type of uh, natural circumstance that comes along. And, and that's got to quit. And thank God He's given us the ability and the, tool, and the tools whereby that can stop and we can live steady, controlled lives. When we talk about out of control, a person being out of control, that can apply to many different areas. Sometimes people are stressed. They're out of control with stress and emotional uh, highs and lows that are just chaotic and out of control. Sometimes people have out of control anger, and, uh, and the anger is ruling them. And they're being driven by those type of situations. Some have out-of-control eating. Some have out-of-control driving. Uh, all kinds of things people should be controlling that they're not. And how many know when you're out of control, the next thing that happens is a wreck? Next thing that happens, there's going to be a crash. And there's going to be some problems that result from being out of control. Now, when I use that terminology, there's automatically uh, some thoughts that will enter the mind of some where they would uh, tend to think, I don't really want to be in control. I want to give up control. I want God to take control of my life. And I, I need to clarify some of what I'm saying and help you to understand that, first of all, God does not take control in our lives. Sometimes people have been under the notion that I just need to kind of be passive and just kind of relax and be passive and let God take over and take control. But, but listen, 
the Lord is not a taker. We must not confuse what the Lord does with what the devil does. See, see, the enemy will try to take from you, and he will try to drive you and force and manipulate and pressure you to go a certain direction. But the Lord is not that way. The way God deals with us is by leading us. He is the good shepherd, right? We are his sheep. He speaks and we recognize his voice and follow him. And so the way the Lord deals with us is he gently leads us, whereas the enemy would try to drive us and try to force us and push us in the direction that he would want us to go. So when we talk about getting control of our lives, we're not talking about the Lord taking control. Jesus doesn't take the wheel. Huh? He just really doesn't. That's not the way he, he moves in our lives. Okay? Say, but I want him to. But he still, he's not going to. Okay? He will be a good passenger. Hmm. How many know the Holy Spirit? He is our helper, but he's not the doer. I just want the Lord to do it. Well, he's not going to. But we're going to do it, and he's going to help us. And see, the Lord will ride with us, and hopefully we'll be listening the whole way. And he'll, he'll provide us direction and instruction and say, turn here, speed up, slow down, go this direction. And if we follow him, we, we will highly benefit. But he's not going to kick you out of the driver's seat and say, you know, buddy, just get in the back. You are so messing this up. And I am going to just take over your life now. I don't know about you. I, I think I'd kind of like that. But it's not really one of the options on the table. All right. I'm still going to be making decisions for the rest of my life. I've I have been put I've been given charge and responsibility for my life, for myself, spirit, soul and body and what I do with all the things that have been entrusted to me and I cannot just say, "Lord, take over." Okay? The only way that the Lord has control in our lives is if we willfully and purposefully submit to his plan and to his word but if i am totally out of control and i don't have any uh any reins on my own self how am i going to take my life and submit it to him i just really can't do that okay therefore i must follow the lord's principles and keys and procedures from his word to get a hold of what he has entrusted to me then i take it and i submit it to him and that's called, then God's the boss. <laughs> then he's Lord. But uh, he's not going to, independent of me, just step in and run my life. Just like if you were to look at uh, many airports, and it, controlled airports have a control tower, right? Does, they, does the person, the people in the control tower, do they control the airplanes or the pilots? You might think they would because... You know, they're called control tower. <laughs> but actually, they can't control the airplane or the pilots, but what they do is give them instructions. They tell you when you can take off and when you can land and which direction you can fly. And uh, then it's up to the pilots from that point to follow the instructions given. Hmm. But how many know even within that? The, the control tower isn't going to tell the pilot everything. 
there's a certain amount he has to already know. He has to know you don't fly through this airspace at 500 knots. You know, above the, uh, around the airport. That's, that's illegal. And he doesn't tell him that. He's already supposed to know that because he read the rule book, didn't he? He already read the guidelines, and, and there are many, many things in there. And so the only time that they need specific instruction are on things that aren't written. Hmm. In other words, go here now. Take off now. Land now. Likewise, of course, it's true for us. There are a lot of things that should already be answered for us. And as we're in the Word, that's how the Lord does speak to us. Praise God. And so when it comes to specific things we need, that's when we listen to Him. But uh, again, it's not the Lord taking over and controlling us. It's us being in control of our own lives and faculties and everything He's entrusted to us and submitting to Him. Now, sometimes we talk about getting control of your life. Uh, people will take that and they want to start controlling other people's lives. All right. That's not what we're talking about either. And if you're in that situation, you need counseling. Okay? <laughs> if you want to control everybody else around you, quit it. That's not the call of God. That's not what He's authorized you to do to run everybody else's life. But in this message here today, uh, or actually in this series of messages, we'll see how big a series it becomes. Uh, but in this message, I want to share primarily two principles from the Word of God. And if we will master these two things, we will absolutely get control of our lives. And I'm saying that without reservation. If we can get these two things down, these two things in line, then we'll have control in our lives. I'm going to give you number one today, and I'm going to give you number two later, sometime later. If you're really astute and spiritually adept and quite the scholarly type, you might figure it out before I tell you. But if you ask me, I'm not telling. <laughs> I already had one person after an earlier service. Is this the second one? I said, I'm not telling. <laughs> Praise the Lord. He might have been right, but I'm not telling you either. <laughs> and so I want you to look. Did I already tell you Isaiah? Isaiah chapter 26. The first thing that we must get control of is our mind. If you can control your mind, you can control your life. Control your mind, control your life. Out of control mind, out of control life. In Psalm, uh, Isaiah 26 and verse 3 says, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Isn't that an outstanding statement? Perfect peace. Many people have minds that never quit. They're just going a thousand miles an hour, 24 hours a day. Just constantly, and sometimes it's stress and worry and anxiety, just 
filling their mind. And they're very much the opposite of peace. But this is a promise from God. You can have God's peace. It's powerful. It's amazing. Just imagine everything goes quiet in your mind. Some haven't had that for a while. It's the peace of God. But how can we have it? Who gets this promise? Those who will keep their mind stayed on Him. So we have the solution. If I can keep my mind stayed on Him, I will be given His peace. So that's what we need to focus on. How can I keep my mind stayed on the Lord? Knowing that if I can achieve that, I got the very peace of God ruling in my life. And it, the peace of God is an amazing thing. I mean, it is, whew, it's some good stuff. It's not possible to control your life without controlling your mind. Okay? You cannot think one way and go another way. It's not possible for you to go north while, while thinking south. All right, your life will follow the direction of your thoughts. And we're talking to believers and unbelievers. Okay, but I must say that lest we think because I'm saved, then it's kind of different for me because, you know, I have the Lord in my life. I'm filled with the Spirit. What does this have to do with me? Well, this message is directed towards, now listen, every single person who has a brain. So, if you're amongst that group, I didn't say everybody who uses their brain. That's, that's a smaller group. <laughs> but everyone who has one must learn to use it effectively. Okay. It's like, it's all, you know, our emotions are not always logical, right? Sometimes they're high for no reason. They're going wild, and it's not even based in reality. All right. It's like the, uh, the story of little Jimmy, six-year-old. And in little Jimmy's house, they moved into a new house. And he, they had a, a trap door in their house that led to a cellar. And, they, and little Jimmy was told every day, that there is a monster in the cellar that eats six-year-olds. And every day he was reminded as they walked past the cellar door, Jimmy, there's a monster. Don't, forget, don't stay away from that. Stay away from that cellar. You don't want that six-year-old eating monster to get you. And uh, after being told that a, no- a number of times, how many know Jimmy's? He's, he knows that there's a monster in there. And so one day, when they decide to take Jimmy down to the cellar, how many know he has an emotional response? Fear and anxiety, and he's going to be scratching and clawing to keep himself out of that cellar because he does not want to get eaten, right? He knows that that would be bad. But how many know his emotions are not based in reality? Yet they're real. They're powerful. They are directing his life. He is practically out of control in that area because of what he believes that's not even true. 
you know I like to use this as well if I were to come over to your house in a few hours from now and you were in your home all alone and I came over with a sad look on my face and I said you know the police asked that I would come over and see you today because everyone in your family got in a car accident and they all died do you have any kind of emotional response to that but they didn't die but I told you they did emotions are gonna rise in your heart isn't that right and all of a sudden you're going to be feeling the anxiety, you're going to be feeling the, the fear, you're going to be feeling the hurt and the pain and the disappointment and the questions and everything is going to be real. Real response to an unreal event. And this is what we must understand about our mind. Pastor Mickey, you tell you, it's, it's a complex organ, <laughs> right? It's, I mean, uh, well, the brain is the organ, I guess, you know, the mind, the brain houses the mind. Um, but this, there's just so much to this, and we must get control of it. Otherwise, we'll be very irrational in our decision-making. I know people who, who marry the wrong one, the wrong person, someone they shouldn't have married. Why? Their emotions blinded them. All they could see was, woo, and uh, yeah, and, and they felt all the feelings, and they never looked rationally at that situation because they were so blinded by what their mind was telling them. But their mind, your mind is not always right. Your mind is reacting to things that it believes is true. And oftentimes we'll discard stuff that is uh, painful. We'll discard and not look at anything that is uh, difficult to look at. We'll ignore it and act like it's not there even though it is there. Hmm. Sometimes all the, quote, all the signs say to do one thing, but we ignore them. We say, oh, oh, that'll that'll be okay. You know, I had a I have a relative. I remember when when she got married uh, many years ago. Um, she was seeing this particular guy, and she didn't really like the fact. It really bugged her that he smoked cigarettes. And that's you know, I mean, she still loved the guy, but she really didn't like that about him. But she was relieved and comforted because he told her, as soon as we get married, I'm going to quit. I mean, no, she got a revelation. <laughs> but uh, so are you saying she shouldn't have married him? No, I'm not saying that. I'm, that's that's her, her choice. A cigarette doesn't have to be a deal breaker. You know, maybe for you. But uh, uh, in that situation, but, you know, there were things that she believed to be true when any one of us, you can see by the response, the objectivity that we have just from hearing the story, we're like, whatever, you believe that? <laughs> You really believe someone's going to change because you marry them? Whatever. If anything, they're going to get worse. Sorry. <laughs> uh, but again, sometimes just, you know, your, your, your mind will tell you one thing, but it's not necessarily reality, not necessarily the truth. And we can never really go somewhere in life that our mind hasn't gone ahead of time. It's, it's like if you're, if you're trying to uh, go through a solid rock wall into a cliff. You know, you can't go. You can't go through it unless you carve out a hole. You dig a tunnel through it. Then you can go through it. And likewise, 
we never go anywhere in our lives that our mind doesn't tunnel out a spot for us first. People don't get involved with sin and damaging behavior unless they imagined it first. They first went there in their mind and then later they followed there with their life and their actions. This, is, this can kind of be a warning because in a negative sense, if you've been going somewhere in your mind but you say, but I would never really do that, you got to watch out because unless your mind changes course, you will go that way. You'll eventually go through the tunnel. Your mind is preparing the way for you. All right. And if you want to go somewhere good, want good things to happen, man, let your mind go there. Put good thoughts, put uh, godly thoughts, His biblical promises in your mind, and you're preparing a way, you're digging out, you're, you're uh, boring a tunnel through that rock so you can follow in the days to come. Okay. Now, I want you to look at Romans chapter 12 with me. Our minds have been comprised of our years of experience and input. We came into this world like a blank sheet of paper. And then what happened to us, good or bad, it's been written on that piece of paper. And we are all dealing with today the experiences that we've had in the past. When I say we're dealing with, many have already dealt with, and so it's not a current uh, issue for you. But we all have to at some point deal with all the experiences, all the words that have been spoken to us, all the things that we've seen. If a person grew up in a home um, where their parents neglected them, that had an effect. If they were abused... If they grew up in a home where, you know, there were a lack of boundaries and people just ran free, well, there's probably some discipline stuff, discipline areas in your life still where you're not able to control yourself. And I use the, use the word able loosely. But uh, if you grew up in a home where parents lived in fear, then that has probably shaped some of how you think today. If parents were always worrying or always angry, all, all this stuff, it, it affected how we are today. And again, I say affected until, we've, until we deal with it. But there'll be a natural tendency for us to go that direction. And when we were saved, how many know your mind didn't benefit? In, in other words, didn't benefit directly. When I was born again, my spirit was born again. My mind was not. My body was not. Someday we'll all get brand spanking new bodies. Be nice, huh? Amen. All have good metabolism. Nice, smooth skin. <laughs> My hair will be blonde. The way God made it. <laughs> Praise the Lord. That day's coming. In the meantime, we enjoy the first fruits, which is the healing of our physical bodies. But our minds as well. When I received the Lord Jesus, my spirit was changed, made perfect in an instant. I've been made the righteousness of God in Christ, perfected forever by the blood of Jesus. Isn't it great? I have a perfect spirit, so do you, if you've been saved. But our mind is still trying to catch up. 
because our mind was left in the exact same condition. And if we had stinking thinking before, we still have it after we got saved. And if we had wrong thought patterns, and if we lived in fear and anxiety and worry and stress and all kinds of stuff that we allowed to live in our minds, we still have to deal with it. The difference is we've got the power of God. We've got the Word of God, which is sharper than any two-edged sword. We've got the Lord and His grace on our side. And so we have the tools to make this thing different, but we can't, as Christians, neglect our thoughts and act like they don't really matter. Our thoughts are key to where we're going. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. I beseech you who? Brethren. That includes sisterin, but uh, uh, brethren are those people who are saved. Not talking to the world, not talking to a bunch of heathens saying you guys need to get saved. Get right with God. They're already right with God, already saved. But he's talking to these people who are already in the family of God. He said that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So, well, isn't that automatic? I mean, I gave my life to the Lord. Obviously, that didn't automatically include the body. He said, you brethren, you saved people, washed in the blood, folks. You guys take your body and offer it to God. It's not an automatic event. Christians must do something with their body. He said in verse 2, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now notice again here, don't be conformed to this world. Well, Paul, dude, I'm saved. What do you mean? Don't be conformed to the world. I've already accepted Jesus. I've been born again. Obviously, it's not the same thing. Being saved and being conformed to the world are two different things, and you can be a saved person who is conformed to this world. And we're going to choose. We're either going to be conformed or transformed. You are either transformed or conformed, and the only way to be transformed, it's not about the change of your spirit, but it is about the change of your mind. The renewing of the mind brings a transformation of life that removes us from the conforming of our lives to this world so it's possible then now from this because he wouldn't be writing this if it weren't it's possible for a person in one house they get saved they're changed in an instant in their spirit and their neighbor rejects the lord their neighbor the neighbor says you know i don't want to have anything to do with god and the person next to him says i do i want to receive forgiveness and salvation and eternal life but they look the same and they, live, they come outside, and they look the same. And they live their lives, they look the same. They watch the same programs, they listen to the same stuff, they talk the same way, they, their lives are the same, yet one is going to heaven, and one is toast. Right? But on the outside, you can't tell. Is that possible? Yeah. Because one is saved and conformed to this world when he needs to be transformed that's the external. That's the life being different. They're transformed how? Only by their mind changing. I want to say it again. Change your mind. Change your life. I said it different that time. First way I said it, control your mind. Control your life. I'm not going to control my life if I let my mind run wild. If I let myself think on just anything and everything that the TV spits out, spits out at me, 
I'm not going to control my life if I let myself think on anything and everything that people talk about at the water cooler. I'm not going to be able to control my life unless I rein in my thoughts and purposefully point them at things that I choose to think on. Okay. Look at Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah 55. This is a, a, a commonly quoted verse of Scripture, and it's a good one. Many of you might probably have it highlighted in your Bible. Isaiah 55 and verse 8. 55, 8 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Now, again, this is a Scripture a lot of times... Christians will quote this, and whenever they do, you get a lot of amens. People will agree quickly when we say, well, you know, the Lord's ways are higher than our ways. The Lord's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Everyone will say, yes, amen. That's, That's true. The Lord's ways, the Lord's thoughts, they're just beyond ours. And we think low, He thinks high, and you know. He thinks good, we think bad. His ways are good, our ways are bad. And there's a problem with this. We, we should not be identifying with this verse. I'm going to show you why in just a moment. We should not be identifying with the Lord being so different from us. I was born again and made from His... How does uh, Ephesians chapter 2 say it? We are His workmanship, created unto good works. I'm made of the same stuff God is. Come on now, He didn't grab some foreign material to make us. Even from the beginning, He made Adam and He made Eve in His own image, in His own likeness. And sin kind of got mixed in the equation, but Jesus came and rescued us. And now we've been born again, made of heavenly substance. I am like Him. If God's like me, I'm like Him. You're like God. Amen. What does that include? I'm not going to start saying that God's ways are different than mine. That God's ways are great and good and high and awesome. And my ways are pathetic and lowly. And, and my thoughts are, I got stinking thoughts and He's got righteous thoughts. I'm not about ready to say that about myself. Now why? Someone say, well, that's not, you're just not acknowledging that you know, sin. No. What I am doing is acknowledging the blood. Acknowledging salvation. And here's why I say some of this. We read verse 8 and 9. It's also important to read verse 7. Whenever you have a favorite verse, I've got some favorite verses. You got them underlined, got them on a little piece of paper, all that stuff. Read the verse before. Read the verse after. Might want to read the whole chapter or the whole book so you understand what's really being said instead of we just go around and grab this scripture and grab this scripture and say, this is my verse, you know, like like that that song that uh, used to be sung in a lot of churches about blow the trumpet in Zion, sound the alarm on God's holy mountain, and people would shout and rejoice over that special day when that trumpet sounds. They forgot to read the verses around that one. That talk about this horrible and great day. 
It's talking about a time of judgment, and it's the last day prophecy about, but it wasn't a, a, horn, a trumpet sounding that where everything's going to be okay. It was like, man, this, you're about to be in trouble here. And yet everyone's singing, blow the trumpet in Zion, Zion. <laughs> in other words, let fire fall. <laughs> let judgment burn them up. Come on. <laughs> and it was just nasty stuff. But, I mean, it's a prophecy because of the sinful condition of the earth and, you know, the end time stuff that's going to take place. But you might just want to read the other verses around it. Huh. And in this place, look at, look at verse 7, what it says here. It says, let the wicked forsake his way, and the righteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Who is this speaking to? It's speaking to the wicked. He's saying, the wicked don't have thoughts like God has. The wicked's ways are not his ways. I'm not calling myself wicked. I've been changed. I received the Lord. And my heart's desire is to serve Him and do what's right. And so I'm going to agree with the Lord's thoughts. And say, His ways are my ways. His thoughts are my thoughts. Now I realize that's not in perfection. That's a process in me. That's where my mind is being renewed. And if you have wicked, or you have thoughts that are kind of lingering over from wicked days those days before Christ, certainly those need to be submitted to Him and changed. But I'm not just going to identify myself with having, you know, bad thoughts and bad ways that are so contrary to the Lord's. No. I'd rather say my ways are His ways. And when I see that they differ, I adjust, and then my ways are like His again. And my thoughts are like His again. Hmm. Amen. It's like the scripture over in, in 1 John uh, that talks about if anyone says he has no sin, he, he's a liar. Remember that? And again, people pull that out of context and we say, well, I'm forgiven and, I, and, I, and, I, and I, I'm sin free. And they say, oh, no. The Bible says if anyone says he doesn't have sin, he, uh, he, hasn't, he doesn't have any sin, he's a liar. But what about the next verse there, a couple of verses down, it says if we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. Let's say that you did that. Do you have sin? Well, then what about the other verse? If you confess your sin and he forgave you of your sin, then you have no sin. But the Bible says if you say you have no sin, you're a liar. Isn't there a contradiction there? It's not a contradiction. You just have to understand that when the Bible says that if, if you say you have no sin, that's the person who's living in darkness. Yes. You can read the context right there. What should that person do? Acknowledge their sin, confess their sin, and God's faithful and just to forgive. So are they sin-free at that point? Of course they are. Otherwise, 1 John 1, 9 didn't work. And it worked. Amen. So... Our thoughts, our ways can be the Lord's ways. Let me say it this way. If you think God's thoughts, you'll have a life like His. If you think the devil's thoughts, you'll have a life like His. And that's entirely up to us. You and I can control the thoughts we think on. Sometimes people have believed something different. They believe, you know, I can't control my mind. I can't control my thoughts. 
I try to push these thoughts out and I just can't do it. I'm telling you, you can. And we're going to be showing you tools and keys whereby you can master your own mind and therefore control your own life. Let's, let's close with 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Reading over here in verse 3. And if you're diligent, of course, you will read verse 1 and 2. <laughs> but we're not going to right now. We're not. <laughs> read that later and actually read verse 9 to, or chapter 9 as well. Uh, and you'll find out we're not uh, taking all of the context into our subject matter here today. But we're taking this principle out of here. Uh, 2 Corinthians 10 verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. What do the weapons of our warfare do? They're, they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Oftentimes when uh, this, these verses are used, they're pulled completely out of context. And all of a sudden people start thinking about demons. Demonic strongholds. And some use these scriptures and then they go into the whole warring thing. And uh, the whole militant Christianity where we've got to pull down the demonic strongholds over all the cities. And years ago, th this, got, this got really crazy. And people rented airplanes so they can get up there with the principalities and powers. <laughs> and pray up there in the high places and pull those things down. Some just got rooms on the top of large skyscrapers. And they held their prayer meetings way up there. All right. But a lot of that was based on scriptures like this where we need to pull down these demonic strongholds. But that's not really the context here. That's not what he's talking about at all. In fact, if you look at the next, very next verse, verse 5, which you know that verses were put in by the translators. You don't ever write a letter to someone using verses, do you? <laughs> verse 1. Dear Rick. Grace and peace be unto you. <laughs> Verse 2. <laughs> so, how's the family? How's the kids? Verse... No, they didn't do that either, but th these verses were added. So when he said pull, for pulling down strongholds, verse 5 is the same sentence. He says, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought into, the captivity, into captivity to the, to the obedience of Christ. In other words, the weapons of our warfare are used to battle mental warfare because the mind is so powerful and it is the battlefield on which the enemy will try to take you down. He can't come after you directly and just ruin your life, but he'll look for an opening in your mind. If he can get you to think certain thoughts and ponder them, over and over and over and let put it on replay constantly negative thinking fearful thoughts and anxiety and worry and many other types of uh, emotional responses if he can get you to stay on that he's got an entrance to take your life down because your life will follow your thought your thought patterns and we could say it this way that either we are taking every thought into captivity or every thought will eventually take us into captivity. And I'm either going to control my own thinking or my thinking is going to control me. 
And this is something that's very important, that every one of us learn how to master so we can be disciplined in our mind. And we can do what Isaiah said there in 26.3. We can keep our mind stayed on the Lord. What's the result? Peace. The peace of God will be in our hearts. Again, the mind is where spiritual warfare is waged. It is where the enemy will attack us the most. If he can get into our mind, he can get into our life. But we've been given weapons. We've been given equipment so that we can win this war. And when we can control our mind again, that's the first step to controlling our life. Praise God. We'll pick up there next time and get into some real good stuff. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you today for being with us, for being for us, for giving us the necessary equipment so we can live a victorious life. And we can be in control of what you've given us and then submit it to you. Let your lordship reign over all of us in every way. For this we give you thanks. For this we give you praise. We honor and bless you today. Thank you, Lord. Father, I pray today for any person who's never been saved. They're not on their way to heaven.